one of my favorite scenes is at the beginning of the movie, he picks up that knob on the handrail and uh, he's upset and then at the end of it, he's really grateful. And it really puts life into perspective sometimes, what we have, what we don't have, and just to be appreciating all of God's goodness. Take your Bible this morning and uh, turn with me. We're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to kind of finish what we started on Wednesday night and um, add a few more things. And I really want to, uh, on our Wednesday evening services, to develop more so along the lines of intense study of God's Word. And to do so, we have to lay a good foundation. This is definitely the foundation of God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 2, the emphasis here being placed on the word of study and uh, that performance, that precept, the commandment that's been given, the direction of God to the student. And uh, there are some versions, perversions of the Bible that would leave out a number of things here in this verse. And one of the great things that they would change is the word dividing. Dividing. Rightly dividing. Many versions will say handling God's Word. But it's the King James Bible that uses this precise wording to give us an understanding of how we are scientifically approach the Bible in our understanding and our reasoning and our education. And uh, again, let me say it like this. Why are there so many different religions in the world? So many different religions and uh, many of those religions use the same book that we use and yet they come to a different conclusion. And it has to be because they're not rightly dividing the Bible. You can go to certain parts of the Bible that will say uh, uh, things that are not fitting for us today and uh, therefore leading that person to a wrong understanding of salvation or eschatology um, or um, many different doctrines. And so it has to be cut with a straight line Someone might say that rightly dividing the Bible is sorting out God's Word in your thinking, not in the thinking of God. God's already got it sorted out, but we need to sort it out in our thinking. And so this is what we find here, this command. And uh, Wednesday night we laid just the first point. There are basically one, two, three, four, five different things that we find in verse 15 that I want to go over. And uh, to do this, let me encourage you to keep your hand in 2 Timothy chapter 2, but we're also going to go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, the Bible is broken up the way that we can understand that the Bible, um, past, present, and future, is broken up in these three categories. And you have to understand it in this setting. And the Bible speaks of that in uh, many different places, but we'll go to Ephesians chapter 2 to, to look at time past, but now and the ages to come. Those three time settings are extremely important to understand what program we're in, what program has been done, or what will be in the future. So time past, but now and the ages to come. These are important. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, Verse number one, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience. 
he goes on down, as you can read the entirety of this chapter, but he uh, speaks about but now found in verse 12 and verse 13. It says that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now, but now, that but now is where we're at. We are in the dispensation of the but now. The grace of God. But now in Christ Jesus. And as we understand the Bible rightly divided, we're going to see in our study more and more the differences between time past and how God worked in the life and the ministry of the nation of Israel and the promises with the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant and how God said that He would bless, He would multiply, and through this lineage would come forth a Redeemer, a Messiah. But he used that nation in a specific way that is different than but now. But now, Christ revealed to us the understanding, the totality of what Christ has done. You know, as you remember Peter, Peter was speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ, and Christ said, I'm going to go to the cross and suffer many things, and I'm going to die. And Peter said, Lord, let it, be, let, let it, let it not be true. Get, it, get away. Don't do this. He was upset. And what did Christ say? Satan, get behind me. And so even Peter did not understand the death of Christ. And that was the time past. But now we do. And he says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, were made what? Nigh. That means to be close near, to draw near to, to come near to uh, to another. How do we come near to God? He says to come nigh by the blood of Christ. That's the but now. That's the time that we're living in. And then he says the ages to come. Uh, look down in verse number 7. That in time, uh, excuse me, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. You need to underline that, that time frame. The ages to come. The ages to come. That is in the future. Futuristically speaking. That is in eternity. And uh, he speaks about this. Now, now read the entire passage here. Verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherever He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who were called circumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That at that time, notice the emphasis on time past. 
uh, again, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles, he says in verse 11, who were called uncircumcision. Then he says in verse 12, and that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the common wealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, that's the dispensation of grace. No more no more nation of Israel. God's not... There is the nation of Israel, but that's not how He's working anymore. It's um, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope, uh, one body, both Jew and Gentile, bond and free. We have one apostle who is the spokesman for the but now period of time, and that's the Apostle Paul. One signifying, one born out of due time signifying one body, again, both Jew and Gentile, whereas the twelve apostles, twelve signifying in numerology the thought of twelve tribes and twelve uh, divisions there under that great nation, and that circumcision, the promise of the circumcision, time past, verse 11, wherefore remember that being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called circumcision, then he makes this distinction, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, and we're going to see how Christ Jesus, that death, the burial, and the resurrection was a mystery, hid, but now revealed through the Apostle Paul, and because of that blood, we've been made nigh. And uh, then there's that thought of the ages to come. And that's seen there in verse 7. Read that. Then the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Time passed, but now and the ages to come. So hopefully that would be an encouragement to you uh, as we continue to study. Look in Second Timothy chapter 2 this morning verse number 15 just trying to give you a very simple approach to this verse and again five divisions uh, we look Wednesday night at the precept for the Christian student and that is found in the word study again study to show uh, the word study implies an element of effort and work uh, a dissecting uh, a researching a sense of um, effort on our part Again, the word study is only given in three places throughout the Bible. And um, we know, what is it? First uh, Thessalonians stayed to be quiet. Ecclesiastes, he says that with much study, there's the weariness of the flesh. And then we find here in verse 15, the command to study. And what is the study that we are to be involved in? Mathematics, uh, history, what is it? It's the Bible. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing, studying the word of truth. This does not discredit the word of God by stating it in this way, okay? But you could put this together in this format. Study to show thyself approved unto God rightly dividing the word of truth. Studying. How do we study? Rightly dividing the word of truth. What's the opposite of right? Wrong. 
So if there's a right way to study God's Word, then there's a wrong way to study God's Word. And that's where we come into all of these different denominations. There is not the right approach that they would have to the Word of God. Uh, So we are to study. Uh, Second of all, we have the performance of the Christian student. The performance. Notice the word says, study to show what? Thyself. There's the emphasis upon your ministry, your life. I state again as I did the other night that one of the ways that God is going to judge, one of the ways that God is going to try, as the Bible says, that our works are going to be what? Burnt. Hay, wood, and stubble, burn up. Precious stones, gems, jewels, it's going to be there to remain. And as we think about what we're going to be judged on in the sense of fire, this is definitely one of those areas. It would be extremely sad for us as children of God in the United States of America to have the land of plenty concerning the Word of God. You can go to the internet. You can go to a Christian bookstore. Many of us have 12 and 15 and and so forth Bibles in our home. Maybe you have different books. And yet the liberty even to come into this place to know God's Word, to study God's Word, and yet not to put the effort there. And then to come to the wrong um, understanding of God's Word, that's going to be judged as well. Do you think the apostolic brother that is teaching, speaking in tongues is not going to be judged of God? Absolutely. He's trying to make something for the nation of Israel fit today in this dispensation of grace that does not work. You believe the man that preaches our salvation through baptism is not going to be judged of God? Absolutely. So our approach to God's Word, our study and our effort, it's going to be judged. He says... Judge yourself in the sense of preparing to stand before God. And that is how? To study. To study. To study to show thyself approved unto God. I want to encourage you. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And look down in verse number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You can even read, let's just start in verse number 1. That would be much better. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Three areas of His ministry that He magnifies. He says that He was with them in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul speaks in the book of Acts, without were fightings and within were fears. There's the flesh that he dealt with and the opposition that was knocking on his door. But through all of it, he says in verse 4, and here's key, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. 
that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of the world, this world, nor of the princes, Satan of this world, that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God. How? In a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of the world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. When Paul came, as he's writing to the church of Corinth, he is speaking volumes that his entire ministry was wrapped around the mystery, and that mystery was the hidden, and then through the apostle Paul, the revelation, the revealed truth of Jesus Christ, of His crucifixion. Verse 8, which none of the princes of the world knew. Satan didn't know. He was a prince of the air. He's a prince of the air. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord. This wisdom is what he's speaking about. And it's the wisdom of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This mystery that was hid, revealed to the Apostle Paul, and now spoken. And uh, there's that same principle of understanding and speaking for us today. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And look in verse number 1. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 1. For this calls I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you word, how that by revelation He made known unto me the what? The mystery. What's the mystery? Part of the mystery is seen uh, in the crucifixion of Christ. What it would bring. Again, we've talked how the Bible and time is broken up into three ways. Again, in the book of Ephesians, He speaks about it. Time passed, but now in the ages to come. Time passed, God worked through the nation of Israel. But now, He doesn't work through that. And the but now has been, has been revealed through the Apostle Paul. One way that we come to a clear understanding of God's Word is by rightly dividing and putting things in their context according to the time. And so we see this. Paul is revealing to us the mystery. What is the mystery? What is the mystery? Things has been hid in God. What is a mystery? Something that you know nothing about, right? It's been hid. It's been kept secret. Um... It's something that was not fully seen or understood. But now it has been revealed. He says, If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation He made known unto me. The me there is who? Paul. God gave Paul this mystery, and Paul is now revealing it uh, to uh, the Jews and the Gentiles, to the body of Christ. He says in verse 4, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge. That word my is there for a reason. Paul says in this passage, consider what I say and the Lord give the understanding in what? All things. Paul has a specific knowledge that was given to him that's seen, not in the man, but seen in his writings. These are not the writings of Paul, they're the writings of God. But God used Paul just like He used Moses. And as we read Paul, the pastoral epistles, the church epistles, the dispensation of grace that we live in, those things being for this period of time. 
our set understanding of doctrine. He says, verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body. Was that not a mystery in the Old Testament? Absolutely. It was a mystery. And partakers of His promise in Christ by how? The Gospel. The Gospel of the Kingdom? No. You remember the Gospel of the Kingdom? Go not into the Gentiles, but only to the lost house, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach Matthew chapter 10. Here we have the Gospel of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The Gospel of the uncircumcision. Verse 7, Wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of God. Notice this. This is key. This is a key verse you need to underline your Bible. And to make all men what? See, the word see means uh, with clarity, to understand, to know it, to make all men see. Can you make men see? He's not saying in a forcible manner, but in a way to teach, to reveal it, to put the truth out there. What are we doing with the gospel at large? You give the gospel and sometimes the seed, it falls on stony ground. You know, it's choked up by thorns. But that's making all men see. You're, you're, you're giving it. You're sharing it. That's what, we're, what, what he's talking about here, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. Verse 11, this is something you need to look at. According to the what? Eternal purpose, which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is the eternal purpose of God? The eternal purpose of God is that man might be saved, that man might come to knowledge, uh, that man might see what is the fellowship of the mystery, that we might, as students of God's Word, know God's Word in a right division way to go to the Bible, to cut the Bible with a straight line, to sort it out in our understanding. Okay, I'm not doing this, but this is for me. I'm not doing that, although they did it, and that was for a specific time, but it's not for us. And uh, there is this performance. Go with me back to our text. 2 Timothy chapter 2. There's the performance, the personal responsibility. He says... Study to show thyself. Thyself. That's the performance. Are you studying the Word of God? Not your pastor. Not your youth pastor. Not your, your husband or your wife. Not your, you know, your brother. Are you? Are you? Are you studying the Word of God? Do you not believe that we as individuals... You know what? I'm not going to stand before God for the sin of abortion because I've never endorsed it. I've never been a part of it. 
So, you know, there's this thought of collectively being judged as a country, and I understand some of that concept, but when we stand before God, He's not going to view us all together. He's going to view us individually. And this is one of those areas that He's going to view us on. Study and show thyself approved. Here's the third point, and that's the purpose for the Christian student. What is the purpose of studying? I think ultimately it's found in the word approved. Approved. God's stamp of approval. God's blessing upon your life. God's um, hand upon your life. His touch upon your life. You know, isn't it wonderful when as a parent you look at your children and they do something that's just great and you, you, you know, you you're filled with that sense of joy and satisfaction and happiness and uh, you feel as in a sense that you have done your part and now there's fruit seen for your labor. The same thought there is with God. God views us as His children. We are His children. And the way that we relay that emotion to Him and as He views us and as we are judged of God, and I think also even uh, in this world, as God sees our love for His Word, He blesses and He multiplies and, and He gives. Um, but it should be something that we purpose in our heart and it's to be approved of God. L- look in Ephesians chapter 2 again. Ephesians chapter 2. Look down in verse number 10. For we are His what? Workmanship. Think about it like this. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman. You're working on the Bible, but really the Bible's working on you. Isn't that the truth? And if you look at it in verse 10, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. Where are the good, where are the good works found? They're not found in our flesh. That's for sure. And uh, maybe you can find them in a different book or magazine or another example. But really, if you want to find the origin of the good works, where they came from, they came from God. And you find them in the Word. Unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So again, as we are workmen and we're working through the Bible, at the same time, God is using that Word to work through us and on us and chipping away the hardness of our life and beginning to mold and shape and and give us understanding and work things out in our life. You know, I was thinking about it today, um, this morning, just these thoughts in my mind, how many people in our world today go to some kind of psychiatrist or shrink or some kind of counselor. And really because of our decay of morality and our substitution for God's Word, people find themselves going in that avenue. And I think some, you know, some people laugh at it. But I would submit to you, everyone has times in their life where they need some help. They need some help. And, and there's this warfare. Where's the warfare at? It's in the mind. We know this the, as best as Christians, do we not? And, and yet here we go, not to a, a, a lost person. You know, as Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians, that we're not going to take a brother to a court of law and stand before the lost, are we? 
he basically says, is there not one that's spiritual among you to work this out? It should be that we go to God's Word. It should be that our focus and our attention is on finding out what God's Word says. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Look in verse 12. It says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence. Three key words. Boldness, access, confidence. Is that not what we can obtain in our Christian life? How? By the faith of Him. Well, Pastor, I've, I've been saved. I've trusted in Christ. I understand that, but I also know that sanctification is a lifelong process. It's something that we are to be involved in. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And look down in verse number 1 and verse 2. He says, Let a man so count of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards. The word stewards, it means a responsibility to manage. Does God want you to be a good steward with your finance? Sure. With your family. You know, I really think that we're going to be judged by God on probably five or six, seven different things. I could think our faith, our, our focus and our attention on God's Word, how we treat our fi- family. I think God's going to judge us with what we do with our money. Absolutely. Um, you know, you've got f- faith, family, um, finances. Uh, what about our following? The friends that we have and the people that we keep. I look at some Christians and they say, this is my best friend. That best friend doesn't go to church and they're lost. And I don't, I don't understand that. How can two walk together except they be agreed? I mean, maybe you just don't talk about the Lord, so therefore there's no confrontation. But if you're going to love the Lord and you're going to stand for the Lord, and you're going to uh, not to say that you can't have friendship with a lost person. I'm not saying that, but our closest confidant. I thank God for my wife. She is just a good, godly woman that I can go to, and we talk about things. And 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 yet, faith, finances, um, family, following. I, 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 there's probably a good number of five or six things that really God is going to judge. Uh, but we're to be stewards. But it's not stewards of finances here. What does he say in verse 1? Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul is talking about these mysteries that has been given to him and he's revealing them to us. And then he says in verse 2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found what? Faithful. There should be a consistency in our diet, in our desire, in our, in our, in our walk with the Lord concerning His Word. And this is, this is the, uh, the thought of purpose, to be approved of God. Look in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, down in verse number 10. Here's a good, a good verse. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I speak to please men? For if I yet please men, circle the word there, men, 
And not to correct the Bible, but to, but to give you a different way to look at this, that word men, mark off the end. You know where I'm getting at? A lot of times we, we read that verse as, oh, I'm going to please Him, or I'm going to please God. It's usually not so much the case. It's me. For do I now persuade me or God, men or God, or do I now seek to please me or God? For if I yet pleased me or God, I should not be the servants of Christ. If I please men, I should not be the servants of, of, of God. I, I think there's a couple of just practical ways that you can apply that to your life. I know the hustle and bustle and the daily routine and the responsibilities of life. I get it. And I'm not I'm not one of these preachers. We live under grace and sometimes a person has to work on Sunday. I get that. I'm not one of these preachers, bless God, you know you're going to burn or something like that. God's grace. Not that grace should be abused. But I'm grateful for His grace. And there's the reality of life. And God understands that. God sees that. And yet there is this place where if the job becomes more of a priority, or if the family becomes more of a priority, or if the focus has been shifted and the paradigm is no longer our direction towards God, but in the opposite direction, that can be that can be quick. That can be a slippery slope. Is am I preaching here? Amen. And we have to be on guard. We have to be on guard. Look with me, First um, Thessalonians chapter two. First Thessalonians chapter two, and look down. Verse number one. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain, but even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, trickery or or some kind of uh, lie or uncleanliness nor of guile but as we are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel even so we speak not as pleasing men but God who trieth our hearts God sees the hearts does he not for neither at any time we use flattering words what is he talking about he's he, you know, these enticing words of man's wisdom. Is it, 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 and then he uses the, he uses the word, the flatter, flattering words. You know, is it wrong to be educated? Can God not use an educated man? Can you not speak in an educated way? Absolutely. He's not talking about those things at all. But when he talks about words of man's wisdom, enticing words of man's wisdom, he, 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 what he's talking about, and I think it's consistent with this thought here of, of just flattering words, is that it's almost like 
a used car salesman, and I'm, I apologize if anyone has ever sold used cars, not to say that this is everyone across the board, but we all kind of know that, that stereotype, and maybe this is not a good analogy, it can get me in trouble. Uh, but uh, just talk. Have you ever heard the illustration? You know, they are a wordsmith. That's, what, that's kind of what he's talking about here. We're not trying to sell God. You know, this thing, Paul came to them just very truthful and honest and pure in his heart and his approach. It says, verse four, or verse 5, For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, there's a lot of people right there that don't fit in that verse that are in uh, a position of church leadership. I was watching, um, I think I shared this with you a few weeks ago, but I was watching on YouTube, just going through the YouTube, and I was watching preachers and listening to preachers and this. And there was this uh, trial of an apostle who has been criminally, criminally charged with um, stealing, uh, embezzling, millions of dollars and and he's um i've never heard of him until that youtube video but uh he has this huge elaborate building with uh two or three hundreds of employees and he travels all over the world and he's got a bentley and all of the you know and he's living extravagant lifestyles and and uh you, you know not not to say that if a man has money that he can't serve the lord but obviously not only because of that, but because of all the specifics in that hearing, just the man had lied and thievery and cheated and stolen and all of these things. He says in verse 6, Nor of men sought we glory. You know what it means here in this passage? Paul looked them straight in the eye, and I've done this, and it's not easy. And you have to preach, and you preach a message that's hard. And there's opposition there, people that are listening that don't want to hear it. Or if you talk to someone one-on-one, -on -one, and maybe they're lost and there's that barrier, and you have to be honest, and you're not trying to be mean. You're trying to, trying to tear down that wall, but you have to look that person in the eye. And sometimes people just don't receive it. If they do receive it, it's with hardness of heart, anger in their heart. He says, nor men sought we glory neither of you nor yet of others could you go into a church and uh, build a church by being smooth talking and build a church through uh, based upon relationships do we build a church based upon relationships absolutely but that's not how we build a church meaning that we're here because we're friends but we're here first and foremost because God's word and that's what he's saying notice what he says in verse 7 but we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, notice this, but also our own souls. That's a true definition of what teaching and preaching and ministering is all about. Yes? That's a powerful verse, man. That is, that's powerful. Um, it is just amazing. Um, 
No, 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 that's great. Absolutely. It does. Absolutely. Man. Um, verse 8 complements it. So being affectionately desirous of you. You know, he says the very last phrase, because you were dear unto us. I think we're kind of out of time there, but um, to say the end of it, what is the reason we study? To be approved of God. To be approved of God. And it's a great note to kind of end on. All right, you're dismissed. God bless you.